Hi, I'm Brad Constantine, and this is a Come Follow Me podcast of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Although this is not an official podcast of the church, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. This year's study is the Book of Mormon. Each week, a new summary podcast of that week's Book of Mormon chapters will be released. But if you want a more detailed analysis of each individual chapter, those will also be available to listen to. I hope this Come Follow Me resource will be helpful to you. As always, you can subscribe to this podcast so you'll be notified each week of a new episode. I hope you like this uh, format. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Come Follow Me lessons. This is going to be lesson number 22 for the Book of Mormon, chapters uh, 5 through 7 of Alma, and also covering the period June 1st through the 7th. So Alma chapter 5 is uh, Alma's words uh, as the high priest to the people, delivered to them in their cities and villages throughout the land. And uh, this also, according to Brother Nibley, uh, seems to be covering all of the aspects of the rites of the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. Remember we said before that uh, there's several talks that seem to focus on Yom Kippur, or Day of Atonement, or Feast of Tabernacles time frame. Jacob in in, the... the earlier part of the Book of Mormon, and then King Benjamin also. So it looks like here we have also a time frame which uh, this talk may have been given uh, around the fall of the year. Uh, so let's go ahead and get into some of this. As we mentioned, this is covering a lot of questions. Um, Alma is going to mention in verse 3 that he was consecrated by his father, so he's received priesthood authority to be able to do this. Um, in talking about... Um, Verse 6 here, he says, uh, Have you sufficiently retained in remembrance the captivity of your fathers? Have you sufficiently retained in remembrance his mercy and long suffering towards them? Uh, behold, he changed their hearts. Uh, questions often asked, can we really change? Uh, is our personality pretty much set? Is there any way to change our personalities? Uh, President Benson said, can human hearts be changed? Why, of course, it happens every day in the great missionary work of the church. It is one of the most widespread of Christ's modern miracles. If it hasn't happened to you, <clears throat> if it hasn't happened to you, he says it should. The Lord works from the inside out. Um, as we go through these questions, I'm not going to answer or ask all the questions, but just uh, be aware that there's a whole bunch of them. And as you ponder and, and read the scriptures this uh, this week, think about each of these questions and how these pertain to you. I want to go to verse 14, though. Now, now behold, I ask of you, my brethren, in the of the church have ye spiritually been born of God have ye received his image in your countenances we often think of uh, do we look like Jesus the image of his countenance is that what that's talking about um, in the, uh, the the word countenance uh, is an older word um, but but let me ask uh, first of all or talk about first the image an image is not just an outward visual ex- impression but also a vivid representation or a graphic display or a total likeness of something it is a, it is a person or thing very much like another a copy or counterpart likewise countenance does not simply mean a facial expression or visual appearance the word comes from an old french term originally denoting behavior demeanor or conduct In earlier times, the word countenance was used with these meanings in mind. Therefore, to receive Christ's image in one's countenance means to acquire the Savior's likeness and behavior, to be a copy or reflection of the Master's life. This is not possible without a mighty change in one's pattern of living. It requires, too, a change in feelings, attitudes, desires, and spiritual commitment. This involves the heart. And that was by, by Brother Andrew Skinner. 
and then he goes on and, and asks, have ye experienced this mighty change in your hearts? So this is the challenge that we have is to be more Christ-like, to be more like him, um, to do the things that he would do. Uh, verse 15, he says, do ye exercise faith in the redemption of him who created you? This question is to uh, counteract the teachings of the Nehors that uh, that they had been taught before uh, because they didn't believe in God. So he's talking about um, do you have faith in our creator that we do have a God, a heavenly father? Down to verse uh, 20. Can you think of being saved when you have yielded yourselves to become subjects to the devil? Uh, the Lord has given us all the information that we need to become men and, men and women of Christ. Uh, so we need to, uh, to work on that. That needs to be something that we need to be constantly vigilant about. And then this important question in 26, he says, Now behold, I say unto you, my brethren, if ye have experienced a change in heart, and if ye have felt to sing the song of redeeming love, I would ask, can ye feel so now? Remember that uh, we talked about before about remembering or retaining a remission of our sins. And, and are we doing that? Are we continuing to repent? Are we daily repenting so that we can have the gift of the Holy Ghost with us? I think that's critical and crucial for us to... Um, to do that, Elder Maxwell said, the natural man will not go quietly or easily, and even when he is put off, he has a way of hanging around, hoping to throw his saddle on us once again. Time and again, the new self is pitted against the stubborn old self. Sometimes just when at last we think the job is done, the old self reminds us that he or she has not fully departed yet. Consequently, Brigham Young said, if this warfare is not diligently prosecuted, then the law of sin prevails. And in consequence of, of this apostatize from the truth, some apostatize from the truth. So we need to make sure that uh, we're vigilant, that, that we can still answer the question, yes, that uh, we are keeping the commandments continually. Verse 27, have ye walked keeping yourselves blameless before God? Could ye say if ye were called to die at this time within yourselves that ye have been sufficiently humble? Uh, Mother Teresa said, if we were humble, nothing would change us, nothing, neither praise nor discouragement. If someone were to criticize us, we would not feel discouraged. If someone were to praise us, we would also not feel proud. That's from Mother Teresa. Down to verse 45, this is an important uh, distinction too. Alma says, this is not all. Do you not suppose that I know of these things myself? Behold, I testify unto you that I do know that these things whereof I have spoken are true. And how do ye suppose that I know of their surety? Behold, I say unto you, they are made known unto, unto me by the, Holy, by the Holy Spirit of God. Behold, I have fasted and prayed many days that I might know these things of myself. And now I do know of myself that they are true. For the Lord God hath made them manifest unto me by his Holy Spirit. And this is the spirit of revelation which is in me. Uh, Robert L. Simpson said, Testimonies built on miracles alone are at best shallow and can only be perpetuated by other miracles. Such is not the eternal process considered best for the acquisition of a testimony that can withstand troubles. Here, Alma's telling us that it's by the power of the Holy Ghost, and sometimes it requires fasting and prayer uh, to obtain that. Uh, even though Alma had seen an angel, he still needed to have a personal witness that these things were true. And uh, he says here that he has. And that's the challenge for each of us. Do you really know of yourself that the gospel is true, that the Book of Mormon is true, that Joseph Smith was really a prophet? It's up to us to have that sure witness of, oursel of ourselves or by ourselves uh, through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I testify that we can have that experience. I know personally that these things are true because I've experienced it myself as well.
And then down to verse 60, he says, Now I say unto you that the good shepherd doth call after you, and if you will hearken unto his voice, he will bring you into his fold. And ye are his sheep, and he commandeth you that ye suffer no ravenous wolf to enter among you, that ye may not be destroyed. So here he's saying that God is calling us. Uh, we just need to adhere and, and hearken. Uh, verse 62, I speak by way of command unto you that belong to the church, and unto those who do not belong to the church, I speak by way of invitation, saying, Come and be baptized unto repentance, that ye may also be partakers of the fruit of the tree of life. Remember that early on in the Book of Mormon, when Lehi has the, his vision of the tree of life, that Jesus Christ is the representation of the tree. Uh, to be partakers of the fruit, then, of the tree of life is to feast upon the principles of salvation as taught and revealed by Jesus Christ. It's also to partake of the atonement, which uh, he has given to us freely, if we'll just repent of our sins and keep his commandments. That's all he asks of us. So then Alma chapter 6 uh, talks about Alma going to the city of Gideon. Uh, he's setting in order the things, uh, the organization of the church. Uh, he mentions in verse 2, those that did not belong, that were that repented and were baptized, they were received into the church. Um, those that did belong to the church but did not repent were cast out or their names were, were uh, deleted out of the records of the church. And so things are being set in order here. They uh, also met often in verse uh, 6, it mentions that. So we know that their church was pretty well organized during the Nephite time, uh, just as much as they are as we are today, probably. Uh, had a very similar experience and organization that we have. Um, and so verse uh, 8 then, it mentions that he, he went to the Valley of Gideon, the city of Gideon, to uh, preach the gospel to those people. So then go to, down to chapter 7. He's delivering his talk to the people of Gideon according to his record. So this is taken from the record of Alma. Notice in verse, 11, in verse 1, it says, um, I attempt to address you in my language. Well, I thought all the Nephites spoke uh, the same language. Here, Hugh Nibley is indicating that this might just mean that he has a different dialect, uh, that there might be different dialects in the different villages, and he's going to use his own uh, dialect. And even though it might be a little different, they can still understand his words just fine. So Alma is teaching a people that seem to be believers here. He mentions in verse um, verse, six, verse 6, he says, I trust that you are not lifted up in pride. Uh, the fact that he's using that phrase, I trust, is evidence in Al that Alma's faith is that, uh, that they will be converted if they're not. Uh, verse 7, he says, I say unto you, there be many things to come, and behold, there is one thing which is of more importance than they all. For behold, the time is not far distant that the Redeemer liveth and cometh among his people. So as, uh, as Joseph Smith once said, uh, the fundamental principles of our religion are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day, and ascended into heaven. And all other things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to it. So these are the important things. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then we have other things that that uh, feed into that. But the, the basic bottom line is... Uh, is uh, that Jesus is the Christ and that he atoned for our sins. So Alma's being taught here to, to, re, to call them to repentance in verse 9, but notice in verse 10, he says, Behold, talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he shall be born of Mary at Jerusalem. Now, obviously, uh, Jesus was not born in Jerusalem. Joseph Smith knew that, as did uh, the scribes that may have been writing this for Joseph. Uh, it was pretty evident that uh, this sounds like it might be a mistake, but uh, 
but uh, and a lot of uh, detractors of the church have used this to show that uh, Joseph Smith uh, was misguided or was wrong. But if you think about it, uh, it, the word is used. The word that's used is at Jerusalem, not in Jerusalem. Bethlehem is just outside of Jerusalem, about six miles to the south, and is considered at Jerusalem. Um, Joseph Fielding Smith said that this question has, in recent weeks, come from several sources. It's from the promptings of enemies of the church, and uh, that they that they are upset because of of what was said here. Uh, but uh, Joseph Smith knew perfectly well that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Uh, if the Book of Mormon was the production of Joseph Smith and Sidney Rigdon or anyone else connected with this, uh, with the Restoration, uh, it would have said that he was born in Bethlehem, not at Jerusalem. So again, this is more evidence that this is translated material than uh, than the detractors had hoped uh, to to uh, get some traction from. Verse six continues to talk about uh, the fact that uh, Jesus is going to be the literal Son of God. Uh, and that he's going to go forth suffering pains and afflictions, temptations of every kind um, as part of his uh, sacrifice. Verse 12, he'll take upon him death that he may loose the bands of death and uh, that he'll uh, be able to extend mercy to those of us that uh, are trying to obtain it. Um, in talking about the atonement of Christ, we often think of uh, his sacrifice in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the, uh, and on the cross as being a, a huge mass of sin piled upon him. Uh, but uh, Elder Bateman, uh, Merrill J. Bateman, in a conference talk once said, For many years I thought of the Savior's experience in the Garden and on the cross as places where a large mass of sin was heaped upon him. Through the words of Alma, Abinadi, Isaiah, and other prophets, however, my view has changed. Instead of an impersonal mass of sin, there was a long line of people as Jesus felt our infirmities bore our griefs, carried our sorrows, and was bruised for our iniquities. The atonement was an intimate, personal experience in which Jesus came to know how to help each of us. The Pearl of Great Price teaches that Moses was shown all the inhabitants of the earth which were numberless as the sand upon the seashore. If Moses beheld every soul, then it seems reasonable that the creator of the universe has the power to become intimately acquainted with each of us. He learned about your weaknesses and mine. He experienced your pains and sufferings. He experienced mine. I testify that he knows us. He understands the way in which we deal with temptations. He knows our weaknesses, but more than that, more than just knowing us, he knows how to help us if we come to him in faith. It seems that uh, even though <clears throat> incomprehensible to us, that time may have stood still in some way so that every single person, an infinite number of people, was seen in vision by Jesus so he could know personally every person's sins, weaknesses, pains, and sorrows, and so on, so that he could take upon those himself in the atoning sacrificial act. And so doing so, we'd, we'd also be able to, uh, to help us individually because he would know how to help in each of our situations. We can't say that he doesn't, that nobody knows our situation because he totally does. Now it says in 13, the spirit knoweth all things. The son of God suffereth according to the flesh that he might take upon him the sins of his people that he might blot out their transgressions according to the power of his deliverance. And so this is the testimony that Alma is sharing here. And uh, I bear testimony that this is true as well, that Jesus took upon himself each individual sin and weakness and trial and thereby uh, has the strength and the knowledge and the understanding on how to help each one of us individually. 
Therefore, the price that we have to pay is uh, taking upon ourselves his name in the waters of baptism, having faith in him, uh, repenting of our sins and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and then enduring to the end, keeping his commandments and doing those things that he's asked us to do. We're not going to be perfect, but uh, through repentance, we can be perfect in Christ. And that's the, that's the object that we have here. That's part of our test of mortality. As President Monson once said, the test of mortality is obedience. Are we going to be obedient to God outside of his presence? And that's what we're doing here in mortality. And then in verse uh, 24, he says, uh, see that ye have faith, hope, and charity, and then all, and then ye will abound in good works. So as we try to keep the commandments and, and do the things and become more Christ-like, if we have faith, hope, and charity, uh, then we can do that. And then at the end of the chapter, uh, Alma gives an apostolic blessing. May the peace of God rest upon you and upon your houses and lands and upon your flocks and herds and all that you possess, your women and your children, according to your faith and good works from this time forth and forever. And thus I have spoken. Amen. So the city of Gideon uh, remained righteous for many years. Uh, they found Korihor preaching false doctrine and made him leave Gideon. Uh, but Samuel the Lamanite preached specifically uh, that the name or that the city of Gideon would be destroyed if they didn't repent. And so after this chapter, uh, Alma is now off to the city of Melech and he's going to encounter a few problems there. So come back and see what happens. I bear testimony of the truth of these things that this is translated material and that Joseph Smith was a true prophet in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time.